Amen. You may be seated. Please be seated. Open your Bible to Jonah chapter 3. We're in the middle of a study of the book of Jonah. Uh, Last week we got to see one of the most powerful prayers in Scripture. As Jonah finds himself in the belly of a fish, everything's gone down. And now he's at rock bottom and he cries out to God. Something we learned last week is when you have big problems and you believe in a big God, you have powerful prayers. Big problems, big God, that's when you really cry out. And I think we'd all have to say today that we're in the middle of some big problems, but we're a people that believe in a big God. Amen? And so I've asked one of our shepherds, Tom Harbin, our newest shepherd actually, to come and lead us in a special prayer about what's going on in our world, our country, our families today. And so Tom, if you'd come pray for us, we will be appreciative as we pray together. Thank you. Let's all approach our Father together. Our God, you are so big and so good. You have been mindful to us even before we were mindful of you, and and we know that is true of today. Father, we do know that this is your treasured creation that we are a part of, and that you care deeply about everything that happens and every person that is a part of everything that happens. And so, Father, just like Jonah, we call on you this morning. Um, Father, not necessarily in desperation, but, Father, we want to be more than ever dependent on you to guide our steps and to uh, uh, be, an auth- be the author of everything that we do. Father, this world is, is in turmoil, um, as it has been ever since the fall. But Father, this is a, uh, a time like we have not seen before. The great concern, the great um, effect that this has had on the global uh, society, the global economy. Uh, Father, the fear that has Uh, been created, um, and we call on you, Father. We know that you do not have your back turned. We know that you care about the lilies, the sparrows, and, Father, you know every hair on our head. Father, I'm grateful for the people who have stepped up around this world, uh, people in positions of decision-making, people in positions of health care, people in positions of... um, helping us to know what to do. And, Father, we lean on them because we know that you've put them in place. We're grateful for that. Uh, Father, my prayer in all of this has been, may we be at least as mindful, if not much, much more mindful, of the matters of the soul and not just the matters of the body. Father, we know that this body will pass and we will be with you someday. Father, help each of us in this group here today to do our part in helping to curb um, the spread of this coronavirus. Father, just mindful of the folks who we know, both in this body and out of this body, who might be in the high-risk category um, for the devastating effects, even death from, from this virus and others. So we pray for them and we lift them up to you. Father, may we never run in fear. May we run to you. Uh, in everything that comes to us, Father. Help during this time that we might be the salt of the earth and the leaven that people that we know need, and and they see our trust in you, and may they feed on that, Father. Uh, We lift this prayer up to you, and uh, 
just as always, counting on you to do great things and to show up when needed, uh, as always. We pray this through Jesus. Amen. Amen. Just put that on the front aisle there. Well, you know, sometimes when you're reading the Old Testament, you see uh, at points they talk about the faithful remnant of God. I feel like I'm getting to see that this morning. So congratulate yourself as being the faithful remnant here today. That's not to talk bad about you guys online. I'd like to welcome our online viewers. I've always wanted to say that. That's just a great line, okay? Welcome. Uh, we got some good advantages. Just got texts from my, my children in Huntsville and my grandchildren, and they're watching. So give me just a second. Taze, Lila Bell, Caroline, Charlotte. Montgomery's much safer than Huntsville. And, and so you just, it, our pool is open in our neighborhood. So you might as well just go ahead and come down right now. Listen to me, all right? Thank you for obliging me of that. So glad that you're here. Glad that we have an opportunity to dive into God's Word. I like the story of the doctor and the patient. The patient calls, and the doctor says, I've got some good news to tell you and some bad news. And the patient says, well, go ahead and tell me the good news. And the doctor says, well, here's the good news. You've got 24 hours to live. The patient says, my, if that's the good news, what's the bad news? The doctor says, I should have told you yesterday. Well, think about that one for just a second. You guys are catching that one. Okay, faithful remnant, remember who you are. Now, what, what, what I love about that is that's really what Jonah is giving. Jonah is giving the message to give some really bad news. What Jonah is to preach is that God will bring judgment on Nineveh in 40 days. But embedded in that bad news was some awfully good news. And you see, Jonah's problem with preaching it is that he knew the good news. He knew that if God called them to repent, God would also change his mind if they would repent. And that's why we've watched this story. When God calls Jonah, he flees. He runs as far as he can. God chases him down, has him caught in the belly of a fish. He's in the bottom of the ocean in the belly of fish, and his prayer life greatly improves. Wouldn't yours? He begins to pray and to cry out to God, and God has him spit up on the shore and sent back to Nineveh. Now, what I love about the book of Jonah, and please stop seeing it as a children's story, is that there's so many surprises in this book that teach us so much. So let's go to Jonah chapter 3. Let's read it in the first three verses. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah, say this with me, a second time. Say it again, a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days for him to go. So, surprises. First big surprise here is we're surprised by a second chance. I mean, think how badly Jonah has messed up. Think about how rebellious. He doesn't just say no to God. He tries to go to the other end of the earth to stay away from God. I mean, he's made some major mistakes, and God says to him, I'm going to give you a do-over. Now, we from a distance almost want to protest. God, how can you give this guy a do-over? I mean, at least put him on probation, at least make some kind of sarcastic remark, at least rebuke him harshly for his rebellion, but that's not what God does. God is a God of second chances. Jonah needed one. Nineveh needed one. 
And if we'd be honest, we do too. In fact, I'd like you just for a moment, think about a moment back in your life where someone gave you a second chance that you didn't deserve. Uh, You went to apologize, or they caught you, and you're expecting, you know, everything to be over, and somehow they forgive you and love you and give you a second chance. Remember that feeling? It's an unbelievable feeling. It's a God-like story, and that's what happens with Jonah. He's given a second chance. Number two, we're surprised by an unchanging command. Did you notice here in chapter 3, he's given the exact same command, the exact same destination, the exact same sermon that he was given in chapter 1. I mean, God could have said, well, Nineveh, you know, I mean, Jonah, you don't, you don't seem quite up to Nineveh. That's a little bit too tough a task. But I do have a mission point in the Bahamas, and uh, we'll just send you over there. But God says, no, what I first called you to, I'm going to call you back to. God will allow you to run away. God will allow you to rebel. But, but listen closely to this. He will never conform his will to your will. He's going to always call you back to obedience. You see, what must happen is that we must shape our will to his will. We must conform our plans to his plans. And we must surrender our desires to his desires. Listen, God's not changed his mind on a lot of subjects. Whether we're talking about selfishness, or we're talking about sexual immorality outside of marriage, or talking about marriage, whether we're talking about giving yourself over to an addiction that controls you, or putting something as an idol that's more important to you than God, like Jonah, he's not changed his mind on those things. And he's still calling you and I to conform ourselves to his will. That's his call. So, God's often calling you back to the same purpose he gave you. So, so I want you to think about this. Was there a calling that God put on your life that you can still remember that you ran from? And here's what I want to say. I don't know how many years or decades may have passed. I don't know how life may have beaten it out of you or Satan may have stolen it from you. But God still believes you can fulfill his mission for your life. So be surprised by that. Number three, surprised by an imperfect preacher. I mean, just stop and ponder who it is that's actually going into Nineveh. I mean, it's Jonah, the guy that wanted to go as far away, the guy that rebelled against God for a second. What do you think he looked like? I mean, he's just been spit up on shore by fish. I imagine he looks terrible with seaweed around him. Probably hadn't combed his hair at least three days. I mean, he's in a mess. Even worse than that, what do you think he smelled like? I mean, how would a man smell that was barfed up on the sea, barfed up on the shore? You probably never thought you'd hear the word barfed in church, right? But you just got it. Get the picture. This guy's been vomited. That's what the scripture says. He's been vomited on the shore by this fish. And yet he is God's messenger. Listen to me. God loves to use our message to communicate his message. You hear that? He wants to use your message to communicate his message because 
Nobody can communicate the grace of God better than someone who's experienced it. That's why Jonah is the rebel, is chosen again to go to Nineveh. That's why David, David is able to write some of the most beautiful songs we've ever heard because he's experienced God's grace to the utmost. That's why Peter is called to preach the first gospel sermon because just a few days earlier, he was given grace. That's why Paul, the man who was against Christianity because he was going to the Gentiles, was the man chosen to go and preach to the Gentiles. So, Joseph is called back to the same, Jonah is called back to the same message. Let's look a little bit further in the story. Keep reading in verse 3. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming. Listen listen to this message. Forty more days, and Nineveh will be, what's the last word here? Overthrown. Uh, the, The word can be translated destroyed. The NIV says it even more graphically. I mean, the message. Nineveh will be smashed. What a message. What a message that we're surprised by. This message was effective. Surprise number four is this message is an effective message. It's short, it's direct, it's effective. Just think about those words. Forty more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. Only eight words. we got a preacher that spends three days walking across the seven miles we know that Nineveh was with only one line. You guys got to get straight or you're going to get smashed. You say, man, that's terrible news. I mean, I I really would prefer the message that we would have probably sent to Nineveh. God loves you and he's got a plan for your life. That's not not what Jonah's given. How in the world can that kind of message be good news? I want you to think about this. Because it's a loving thing to do. Guys, in the face of evil and injustice... Wouldn't you be disappointed if God did not have a sense of judgment? If our country said, you know what, for now on, we're so full of grace, we're not going to call anybody to account for anything they've done, no matter how horrific the crime. We'd go, oh my goodness, that's not a good government. And guys, we've got to see this other side of God that, that actually magnifies the grace part of God, which is that God is a God of judgment, that when he sees the people that are used to abuse and cruelty and rape and murder and neglect, there's a judgment. How disappointed would you be if there was no judgment on the horrific crimes of World War II when one man killed seven million Jews? How disappointed would we be if we had a God who overlooked the beheadings of the terrorists in the Middle East? No, it's a part of God's love. You see, the opposite of judgment is not love. The opposite of judgment is indifference. We'd be a whole lot worse off than a God who gets angry at sin and what it does than a God who goes, you know what? I just really don't care what you do. You see, often... It's the person who understands this, who really gets the love of God. Jesus gave almost the same message. We don't always look at this, 
But the, Jesus' first message was not eight words. It was five words. Repent or you will perish. Now, what's wonderful about these messages is that for God to call people to repent implies we could change. So it's good news. And it's good news because we can turn around and we can be rescued from a terrible world we live in. I just Something just hit me this week studying this story. It, if the Ninevites, the, the Syrians were as cruel as history says they were, and they would go into whole towns and plunder and rape and torture in awful ways if you read history. Do you think that might have influenced the way they lived at home? You think a soldier coming back from that can cut that off and treat his family right? You see, guys, this, this judgment, they know it. See, oftentimes we're scared to go, you know what? You're a sinner and you need to be saved by grace. My friends, most people are not shocked by that message because they know how bad all things are and how screwed up they are in their life and their family because of what's happened. I used to be very hesitant to preach about divorce because I didn't want to send divorced people on a guilt trip when I believe forgiveness is available. But what I finally figured out about preaching on divorce was the people that would agree with me the most about God hating divorce were guess who? It was divorced people. They know the sermon better than I do because they've been through the destruction and the life that doesn't happen in one moment, that goes on the rest of their life because of divorce. And so, this is a good news message because it says to these people, there is hope. Now, let's look at a few more verses. Watch the response to this message. Verse 5. The Ninevites, oh, I love this, they believe God. You notice what it says there? It doesn't say they believed Jonah. No, it's so much better than that. They believed God. And look how they respond. A fast was proclaimed. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. What was sackcloth? It's like putting on a burlap sack. Why would you do that? Because you wanted to feel your guilt and the judgment so bad. You would put that itchy, scratchy thing on your body as a sign of humility and repentance that I never want to live that way again. So... When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, watch this. He rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth himself, and sat down in the dust. Talking about humility. This is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that they will not perish. Wow. Number five, surprised by an overwhelming response. When the invitation song was given in Nineveh, who expected the whole city, the greatest revival in the Bible, 120,000 people to respond. They didn't just believe Jonah, they believed God. It's so crazy because it, it, to us it's so surprising. 
It's like me saying, did you read the paper this morning? Tom Tom Cruise has become a preacher. Or Paris Hilton is now a Christian singer, and we go, oh, no way. But do you know this morning that Kanye West, that writer, rapper, singer with a terrible reputation, is holding services to preach the gospel in Los Angeles today? You see, God changes people. He gives those second chances, and often they respond. Thank God for that. Let's look at one more verse. Verse 10, good news. When God saw that they did not, saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. God relented. Let me put it in a more vivid way. We need to be surprised by a penitent God. You say, buddy, I dare you call God that he had to repent. Well, maybe we don't understand the meaning of the word repent. The word repent just means to turn around. The word repent literally can be translated here. Many translations it is. Is he changed his mind? That's one of the most surprising parts of the character of God. That we've got this sovereign God who is able to change his mind. And, and, you know, if we just had this one story, I might say, well, that's just sort of symbolic, poetic language. But we've got him changing his mind with Moses. We've got him changing his mind at Sodom and Gomorrah. We have him change his mind. Well, how do you put that together? My friends, God is a sovereign God. His will will be done. He is in control. And in the long run, everything he desires will happen. But in the midst of that, he is able to respond to us. You see, that's what threw people off in the first century about Jesus. The Stoics didn't like Jesus because their view was any God that was worth his salt could not be affected by people. And then we got God walking on the earth and he cries with people and he gets mad with people and he responds and they go, he can't be God. Because in their view, if God reacted to what we did, we were in control of God. I am eternally thankful that we have a God who feels with us. We have a God who's not so distant he can't respond. We have a God who's so loving that he can literally change his mind. And he does. And so let's be surprised that there's a God who says, you know what? I put my plans in place, but I will respond to the way that you react. So what a great story about a second chance for Jonah, a second chance for Nineveh. And quite frankly, thousands of years later, a second chance for us. I want to illustrate this today by calling my good friend David Bratton up on the stage. David has been around here for quite a few years. We'll hear his story. And um, he's got quite a story. And quite a story about second chances. And I wanted you to hear this today. Because this story's for us. David, thank you for being willing to, yes, to be here. Um, David grew up in the state of Mississippi. Uh, he actually grew up in the home of his grandmother, who instilled faith in him. But later in your life, after you'd surrendered your life to Jesus, you started going down a wrong path. Tell us about that and how that went. 
Yes, sir. Um, my grandmother raised me in the church. You went to church every Sunday. You said, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, to your elders. And she raised me uh, uh, to go to church every Sunday. And um, I never did get involved in anything outside of church. It was it had everything I did when I was time I was three years old till I was 17. It was all about church and never did get outside. And I that. love that you mentioned this morning that vacation Bible the schools were the biggest yes, influence well, on it your was. life. It was. I mean, we get, to, uh, we get to go to Liberty Land. Our, our church was pretty good. And it was, for a small church, that was pretty good. Just to, get, to get, have things for us to do for a little small town. Um, but by the time I turned 18 and I got to get out on my own and go to work, I got to hanging out with the wrong crowd. I got to, I um, started uh, started my addiction of alcohol and drugs, and um, it went on for about 20 years. And um, I wondered from God. I, I still believed in God, but I wondered. I never did go didn't go to church or anything. I, but um, it got worse as life went on. It's time about 2000, year 2000. I got in some trouble with the law, and um, I was fixing to go to prison. And I, but I went to Tupelo at the detox center there, and um, they, they uh, stayed there seven days, and they gave me a chance to go to a halfway house. And um, but I was on probation, so I asked my probation officer if he'd let me go. He said. Yes, sir, if you're trying to improve your life, we'll let you go. So they did. And um, I came to the Henry House on um, Hall Street. When you came to Montgomery, tell them what you had in your hand. I may have had uh, about three changes of clothes in a, paper, in a plastic bag. That's all I had to my name. And the uh, detox center gave me a quarter to call the uh, owner of the halfway house to come get me at the bus station when they brought me here. When I got here, it was I didn't know nobody, nobody. I didn't know I had no family, nothing here. But I got in the halfway house, and on Monday nights, advice would hold a, a meeting at the halfway house, and um, he asked me if if I would like to go to church. I said, "Yes, sir, I sure would." And um, so I came to church here in Montgomery. I mean, in landmark and. Uh, Everybody here was just as nice as they could be. They said, hey, how you doing? Glad to hear, glad you're here today. And they were just, just real polite and nice. And I just, it overwhelmed me how the people were here. And uh, I started coming. And they had the RSVP program. And I started going to it. And um, I was here from April of 2003 to uh, April of 2004. And... Um, I had to go back to Mississippi to pay a restitution. Well, my probation officer put me in a restitution center and said if I pay my restitution, he would let me off probation. So I, by the April till December of 2004, I paid my restitution in that, by the end of December. And he came back and said, I'll let you off probation. You're a free man. You do what you, you know, you ain't going to answer to us anymore. Well, when he gave me that paper saying I'm free, I, everything I learned in NAAA and RSVP in here, I threw back out the window. And I went back to my addiction. When in that time period of December to June 
of 2005, I lost everything. I mean, I lost my family. I lost um, a car I had. I lost uh, everything I had worked for. And I was living in a shed with no running water, um, maybe taking a bath every three days. Just The guy would just let me stay in the shed, his shed. So I, I was working for a guy, and I asked him, I said, do you work me a couple of days so I can get a bus ticket to go back to Montgomery? He said, I sure will. And, and kind of like, you know, anything can get rid of you. <laughs> but um, uh, when I got here on the bus, I only had a handful of clothes again. Third chance. Third chance. And uh, when I got here this time, it was on my own. It wasn't no cause of, of being on probation or anything like that. I had to, it, this time it was either I had to get it or I'd be out under a bridge. And I went to the halfway house called A Day at a Time on Hill Road. And I stayed in this halfway house for a long time, about four years I was there. And I got a job here with, with um, my uh, guy I work for now, still working for him. And it started in 2005. And uh, it was one day at a time, was the name of the halfway house. And uh, that's what I've done, a day at a time. Between the RSVP program and the people here and the people like y'all, I made it 14 years clean and sober. Amen. <laughs> David, and I, I remember those days. If you were part of Landmark in those days, that it was a it was an up and down battle. David lost jobs and get back jobs, and finally got this permanent job. But what I remember is that he would show up on this front row almost every Sunday, and and we got to do battle with you, and uh, that was a beautiful thing. Real, real quick, David. How's your life different today now than when you arrived back in Montgomery? Um, I'm married now, and um, I own my own home. I didn't know what it was like during my addiction. I never paid an electric bill. I never paid a water bill. I didn't have no bills. Everything I spent went on the partying. And uh, now to be a, a, a society again, um, it feels so wonderful, you know, own your own place and own your own uh, uh, vehicle and uh, be able to pay your debts and uh, be a member of society. It's, it's a wonderful feeling. I never had, never knew till I'd, I'd finally come to it. Well, David, not <coughs> only are you a member of society, but you are an extremely important part of our church family and beloved and your story is told over and over. Yes, sir. Some of the great privileges of my life was to be able to baptize you in 2003, and then yes, to be able to perform your marriage with Paula, see you buy that house and be yes, at the house warming and see yes, God sir. just, God save you. So guys, y'all give David a hand and thank him for sharing. Yes, sir. Thank you, buddy. David, come on back up here one second. I want you to lead our prayer for communion. And what I want to say before we take communion is this is the place we celebrate. What do you think about David when you take communion? Our God is a God of second chances. Um, he, he never leaves you. He's there waiting for you just to come back to him. And um, when he came and rescued me and picked me up out of the mud and mire and set me on dry ground. It was just the most wonderful feeling. I just, um, 
love it. I mean, God has just done amazing things in my life. And uh, that's the reason he died for me on a cross so he could have, we could have forgiveness of sins. Amen. So it's in communion, guys, that these two qualities we've been talking about through this message of the judgment of God and the love of God actually come together. God couldn't just act like it didn't happen. So there had to be justice. There had to be punishment. And Jesus takes our punishment. And because of that, we can now have this graceful love relationship with God with every bad thing we've done forgiven. So this communion time, we're going to ask you to go to tables. When when you go to the table, there's going to be two cups put together. In the bottom cup, there's bread. Top cup, there's juice. Trying to do our best to keep everybody safe today. So we want you to partake of that. But before we go to the table, David, would you pray for us? Yes, sir. Father, as we come to the table today to partake of the cup and the bread, the wine, Father, um, may we do it in remembrance of the second chances you gave us. Even from the God that was on the cross with you, that said, uh, will you remember him in paradise? Father, you remember us, and you died for us, so we could have forgiveness of our sins. Thank you for the body and the blood that you shed for us. We give you the glory. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. For I pray in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Just for a moment. In just a moment, we're going to close this service out praying. If you need prayers today, if you need to end up on this front row today, obviously there's a lot of power there. You see, there's no surprise that Jonah 3 happened because of what happened in Jonah 2. In Jonah 2, we saw Jonah praying. In Jonah 3, we see the result. And so today we'll get to do that same thing. There's one more point that really hits me after studying this message that I'd like you to write down in your notes or certainly in your mind. God gives us these stories so we would no longer be surprised by his patience. God gives us these stories so that we would no longer be surprised by his patience or his power. You see, it's so easy for us to look at Jonah and go, what a, a sweet children's story. Or maybe we take it out of that realm and go, well, it's an adult story, but it's thousands of years ago, and that's what God used to do. My friends, the Bible gives us these stories because they're stories of not what God used to do. They're stories of what God does do. You understand the difference? Don't read this and go, wow, wasn't that crazy? Didn't God do powerful things? No, no, no. He's the same crazy, powerful God today. And what he did then, he can do now. And that's why God gives us these stories. They're not for our entertainment, they're for our conviction. That's why we love to hear the story of David Bratton, because it says, God still works. I want you to believe that. Because as we go into this crisis mode in our country today, this is critical, that we believe that God is still in control. We believe God could take something really, really bad and do what he always does, make something really, really good happen. I love the prayer I heard our children's minister, Hannah Vest, pray early this morning, that the gospel would spread as fast as the virus. Wow. If ever a moment where we know life can turn in a second and life is fragile, we know it and the people around us know it. So what does that lead us to? We believe in a God who still does powerful things. We don't live in surprise. 
We live in anticipation. You see, I want to challenge you when you walk in these doors. Is that when you come in here, you come not just to check the boxes, but you come to go, you know what? What is God going to do today? How is he going to show up? How is he going to work? When you go in your home with your family, how can my family be blessed? When you go in your small group, what is God going to pull on us today and, and display his power? And when you pray, often we pray like we'd be surprised if God answered our prayers. We need to pray in anticipation. The reason we have small prayers and measly dreams is because we don't believe in a big God. We put stories like this in the past instead of doing why God put them there to put them in our present. So my friends, in the middle of this, let's be the people of faith. Let's be the people who serve. Let's be the people who pray. Let's be the people who anticipate God doing great things like the Ninevites. We believe God. And so today, if you need some power in your life, if you need us to pray for you before we walk out of here, why don't you come right now while we stand and sing?